Today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, in a recent article, the Herald Leader is shocked to find out that Christians exist in our government and castigate standard viewpoints for decades as far right in a quote-unquote non-opinion article. The Daily Beast publishes a long article alleging a pay-to-play type of scandal coming from the Daniel Cameron in the AG's office. We'll dig into that and go into what possibly the facts are. Then finally, for our podcast-only listeners, as more and more crypto mining operations come to rural Kentucky, complaints from locals abound, but these companies were enticed to come here by the state and local governments. We'll take a look at why and then what the citizens' concerns are. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. Make sure you're spreading the word and letting people know that the Andrew Cooperwriter Show exists. And for those of you listening to YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Rumble, as always, I encourage you to be listening on the podcast format that you can find on any major podcasting platform such as Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, Pandora. Uh, You know, if you can't find it on your podcasting platform, let me know. I'll make sure I get it on there. Um, and, and the reason why I encourage you to do that, one, you get to hear that last story, which is very interesting. And two, you're able to take it on the go with you. So you don't have to sit there with your browser open, listening to my rambling for 30 or 40 minutes. You're able to listen to it while you're driving, working out, or simply doing work around the home. And then also I do, uh, obviously for those of you watching, uh, you can see I'm wearing camo today. Um, I'm not often, of course, wearing camo, but I am going dove hunting later today. So excuse my tire uh, on that side of things. And then without further ado, let's get into it. I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. Let's take a look at this first story here. The Herald Leader recently wrote an article about a family foundation gathering in Lexington. Oh boy, oh boy is their bias showing in this article. Now, if this had been reported as an opinion article, uh, then I wouldn't be having this conversation. In fact, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it at all, but it's not. It's being reported as if this article is not chock full of opinions and leftist beliefs about Christians and Christians and our government. Now, a lot of people confuse what the First Amendment means and what the founders meant it to mean. Many people seem to think it means that people in our government shouldn't be religious and their religious viewpoints shouldn't dictate what they do while in office. And these people are, of course, ignorant of history. This is not a derogatory segment. It's just factual. I know many people get caught up in the First Amendment's freedom of religion and what it means. But what it means is you should be free to choose uh, what religious practices you do, you shouldn't be forced into religion by your government or punit or 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 you know punished, getting punitive uh, treatment from your government because of your religious views. But it doesn't mean freedom of religion, not freedom from religion exactly. And liberty does mean that you are free to practice your religion. But the liberty on the other side of things, people who are elected are free to advocate for what they want to advocate for, as long as it doesn't violate our constitutional rights. And if the country's government, and and, and for those of you who want to argue back and say, no, that's not the case. Well, if the country's government, if our government was supposed to be completely free from religion or even Christianity, it would leave one to ask, well, 
Why did the Declaration of Independence invoke God? Why does every single state constitution mention God or the divine at least once? Why, in our courts for a long part of our history, did people swear in on the Bible, swearing, of course, to tell the whole truth or nothing but the truth, so help me God? Many of our elected leaders, when they swear in, they swear on, on Bibles when they take office. George Washington swore in on a Bible. Now, this doesn't mean you have to, because, of course, we do have the First Amendment. The first Congress actually explicitly prescribed the phrase, so help me God, an oath under the Judiciary Act of 1789 for all judges and officers other than the president. But it was even prescribed uh, even earlier, too, in the first state's constitution, as well as by the Second Con uh, Continental Congress in 1776. So, so putting in, so help me God, in your oaths was a part of our government's organization. And, all, and, and those phrases are mandatory in oaths, but the said act still allowed for the option for the phrase to be omitted by the person taking the oath, in which case it would be called an affirmation instead of an oath. So basically, from the very beginning of our country's time, government officials were officially swearing in under the Bible. They didn't have to, freedom of religion. They could have done an affirmation instead of an oath. But that didn't mean that the government was, quote unquote, free of religion. It didn't mean that people didn't swear in according to God. It just meant you didn't have to. But people were still free to do that. That is what freedom of religion means. You're not forced into religious practices like praying or swearing an oath to God. But it doesn't mean freedom from religion, as we've covered. Meaning that men and women who are elected into various offices are free to use whatever guiding principles like Christianity or even Satanism that they want to. Then it's up for the voters of their constituency to remove them if they do not represent their values. Or, of course, it's up to uh, our court system to deal with them if what they're advocating for is unconstitutional. Freedom of religion, not freedom from it. Now, the nuance that I just went over, the left would like you to forget as they screech about anything that doesn't worship their leftist beliefs and deities, calling it bigoted and awful. And what this Herald Leader article does and says about the Family Foundation gathering is quite clearly a shrieking leftist who is alarmed that mainstream Christian beliefs are being held by Republican elected officials and then insists these are, of course, far-right beliefs. The Family Foundation, for those of you who are unaware, is a Christian activist organization that works with elected officials to try to get their social issues-based bills passed. You know, they fought against, for an example, legalization of, of sports betting and expansion of gambling, while at the same time fighting a course for right-to-life issues, pro-life issues, and uh, on other social issues such as that. And it's the same way that leftist groups like the Fairness Campaign will try to get their social issue-based bills passed. Well, this is a a group that passed, tries to pass bills on the other side. Now, let me take a few quotes here from this article that covers this event uh, and, and is clearly dripping with absolute disdain for everybody involved. Uh, and remember, like I said, this is a completely factual, non-opinion article, and it's called KY Family Foundation Wants to Promote a Biblical Worldview. Many in the GOP are on board. Yeah, with a title like that, you're wondering where we're going here, so... Let's go into it. Now, of course, throughout the article, they use uh, they use quotations 
uh, at different points as a clear kind of bias. I mean, it's random, the quotations, the words that they're quoting and making sure that they put quotations around um, is, is quite meant to get across a certain tone of voice. Let me, let me read you this passage. I'm going to read you this passage. I'm going to emphasize words that the parentheses were put upon in this article. <clears throat> Public schools are working to replace parental authority by indoctrinating and grooming Kentucky's children with a liberal agenda. Major medical associations are in a cabal with the LGBTQ revolution and want to push transgenderism on youth. And Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir is a tyrannical governor who wants to block people from attending church. Now, a non-opinion article, a factual article, actually interested in the ideas being discussed would take a look at each claim and see what the facts are. For an example, working to replace parental authority. Now, a factual journalist, a journalist interested in reporting the facts and not trying to push an agenda or worldview, just simply seeking to inform the public so then they can make their own decisions, would maybe say something like a recent issue that has flared up in regards to schools transitioning kids at uh, regards to public schools transitioning kids while at school without parents' consent. Until Senate Bill 150, state guidelines advise teachers that they should not inform the parents when and if a child starts changing their gender and going by different pronouns at school. An issue that parents' rights activists point to and say is dangerous because transitioning kids have a higher suicide rate and not letting their parents know to watch their mental health and speak with their children about what is going on could be potentially causing more suicidal outcomes. While advocates for keeping the transition from their parents state that not all kids feel like they can come out to their parents and feel safe at home, and this could potentially lead to also harming their mental health. Now, if an article said something like that, that would be the closest we're going to get to factual reporting. I'm presenting each side of the argument and then letting the readers decide which one holds water. I'm not trying to make the argument for anybody. I'm not trying to denigrate anybody's argument. I am just simply stating what they say their arguments are and then leaving you to make up your own decision. I mean, the author mentions in the article, Andy Bashir being tyrannical for blocking people from going to church, but never seems to actually bother to say what he did, that he did block people from going to church. I mean, take the same line, take this line from the article that says, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir is a tyrannical governor, tyrannical governor, that's in quotations, who wants to block people from attending church. That's a quote from the article where they're quoting these people. Now, uh, let's say we, we take that and we say it in a way or write it in a way that's not drifting with leftist content for uh, contempt, sorry, for the event. Um, you know, you might say something like uh, many speakers pointed to Andy Bashir as a tyrannical governor due to his COVID mandates that closed churches to in-person service, a COVID mandate that was later overturned as unconstitutional by federal courts. That would be uh, as 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 simply middle down the road as you can get factual many speakers point to Andy Bashir's tyrannical governor true due to his COVID mandates that closed churches to in-person service true and then you throw in a COVID mandate that was later overturned by unconstitutional by federal courts you don't just say the the Kentucky governor Andy Bashir's tyrannical governor who wants to block people from attending church when you say that who wants to block people from attending church it's like this this person forgot that he did block people from going to church like that really happened 
They're trying to make it sound like they these people are just cooking up these crazy conspiracy theories. No, he did block people from going to church. That is the factual part of it. But of course, the article can't say that. They can't mention that. I mean, the leftists and centrists are left to say Bashir was just trying to protect people when it comes to COVID because they are able to ignore because media outlets such as the Herald Leader refuse to report that not once, not twice, but dozens, not dozens, but a lot of times <laughs> Bashir's actions were ruled unconstitutional by federal courts during his COVID mandates. Of course, that might make it when someone says Bashir's a tyrant, it might make sense to them because, well, Tyrants don't respect the rights of their people. So they can't have that. They can't have, when, when we say Bashir's a tyrant, you have to believe we're just some crazy right-wing nut job. They can't have you believe that, no, he really did violate constitutional rights. Um, they don't want to give the average reader that info. They just want them to think that we're all crazy. At least you think that was just an issue like this in the article, quotations, the way you're phrasing things, leaving out important information. Let me read you a particularly egregious quote from the author from this article. In a state where Republicans control both legislative chambers and Frankfurt, Saturday's event provides insight into efforts among some in the political majority to continue pursuing a far-right tack on such issues as abortion access, public school curriculum, on gender diversity, and trans health care. A far-right track. You know, like having a viewpoint that we shouldn't have adults cross-dressing and dancing sexually in front of children. And, you know, we shouldn't be teaching kids to masturbate in school. Something that was going on. Because you go into your public school library, and probably still can in a lot of these, and pick up books that go over masturbation and shoving socks down your pants if you're a woman pretending to be a guy in order to get a bulge. Those are real books, real things that were said in real books that exist in our school public libraries. But of course, you know, talking about that, you're far right. You know, not wanting that added to the curriculum makes you far right. You know, your crazy, far right, crazy idea like chopping off someone's dick is in healthcare. That's just a crazy far right idea. Your far right idea on trans healthcare that we shouldn't just chop off their genitalia. Oh, you far rightists. Get your tiki torch out. How dare you not want to mangle their genitalia? I mean, I, I asked this author, is there anything to her that is far left? Like, honestly, what would be far left? If saying don't chop off the dicks or don't mangle people's genitalia because they're mentally ill makes you far right. Well, where does that put the middle? And what would be far left? Now, that's an interesting discussion. That's an interesting question. If you consider the mainstream belief that mangling people's genitalia is in healthcare, far right, where's the middle? And where's far left? Now, there was an interesting point made during uh, the event from the pro-life crowd. Now, of course, the pro-life crowd... Uh, uh, they wouldn't call out Cameron's flip-flop or Russell Coleman's flip-flop because, you know, by name. They wouldn't call him out by name because that would cause just too much of a stir and, well, the, they just can't handle that. But the director of policy affairs for Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, which, by the way, endorsed 
Cameron during the primary said, unfortunately, we're seeing some reshuffling of the deck. We're seeing some elected leaders who were staunchly pro-life before reading the polls or what they think the polls say, and some are watering down their views for political reasons. So that's a quote there from the director of policy affairs for the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, and that is what she said at this event. Now, I would challenge this statement in one way. She said that they were staunchly pro-life before. Staunchly pro-life. I mean, how staunch are you if you're willing to do the old flippity-flop? Now, of course, as stated, some of the blame does lay with these pro-life groups as to why the polls say what they say, because they don't do the hard work and bother to engage in the culture wars and, and messaging to the culture. Instead, they provide cover for absolutely morally bankrupt politicians during primaries, and then they go to them begging them to pass their legislation while not bothering to win over the masses. You know, Planned Parenthood and others are constantly doing messaging campaigns on pro-abortion. How many pro-abortion billboards do you see out and about when they're pushing these things? I remember I've seen roving truck billboards pushing abortion in Frankfurt, especially during session. But yet, when do we see any pro-life messaging other than during perhaps a Republican primary? When, when's the last time you've seen a pro-life ad? An ad trying to convince people that believe in murdering the unborn that it's the wrong thing to do. I mean, these people have got to start competing in the culture wars. If they don't, more and more articles like this one will be wrote and published. And, and, and as fact, too, and said the clear opinion pieces they are, because you're allowing them to believe that this is fact. You're losing in that culture war. Well, coming up, Cameron has some pretty big corruption and pay-to-play accusations leveled at him in a new Daily Beast article. We'll have more after this short break. So this is one of those moments where I have to report on stories, whether I feel like, you know, it's, it's basically this is a moment where I'm reporting on a story that people will get mad at me for even talking about. And the reason why, of course, is because their blind loyalty to Team Red Shirt or Team Blue Shirt, in this case, it'd be Team Red Shirt, gives them the inability to look at a story objectively and to talk about things that need to be discussed. And it's because of this that our government continues to suck because we can't have the hard conversations and look at people as objectively as we can. And here's the objective fact both Bashir and Cameron are not all that uh, honest when it comes to their behaviors in government, it would appear. Um, they both have their own different forms of corrupt behaviors, uh, even before this article. Bashir, of course, had some corruption with donors and Cameron, going to donors that he, or going to people asking for money while his office is in court with them. Whether that's by accident or not, well, it still happened, and it looks bad. So in this same way, reporting on these stories, people don't like, but I'm going to do it anyways. Because the Daily Beast recently published an article called The Big Money Behind Kentucky AG Daniel Cameron's Bizarre Psychedelic Drug Crusade. Now, you may remember for longtime listeners of the show, I did a podcast touching on this actual strange initiative coming 
out of the Cameron office uh, a few weeks ago. And you may remember I was not a fan then, and now it looks like possibly, possibly that the reason Cameron's been pushing this is in order to funnel millions of dollars of support his way uh, in the form of money into his packs. It's possible. We'll talk about what the story alleges, and then we'll talk about other explanations. Um, but either way, it doesn't, at least it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Now, let's say some of the underlying knowledge you need to know. So to recap my episode I did before, there's this plant called Ibogaine, and it's a tree bark from an African shrub uh, called Tabernath Ibogaine. Iboga, Iboga, Tabernacle, Iboga. Hopefully that's how I said it right. It's an African shrub. This is a bark and you can get this substance from it called Ibogaine and it's a psychedelic. And people say, and there's been some research to say that this is a quote unquote wonder drug for dealing with PTSD, addiction, other things. Basically it can quote unquote reset, I guess, uh, your mind reset uh, the, the, the way your mind's working, help deal with, um, you know, addiction, uh, responses, of course, help you deal with withdrawal symptoms, help with the mental side of things for PTSD, the mental addiction to things. Um, and, and that's what they say it can do. Now, as I said in that podcast, and I went over the reasons why I, I originally haven't been super comfortable with this idea. One, I know that people who support these kinds of things, and, and we've seen it with the um, marijuana people, of course. We see it with, with, with psychedelics, LSD, DMT, these types of things. I, the, the advocates for this tend to oftentimes understate the possible side effects. We see this, like I said, with marijuana. People understate the possible side effects and addiction that things like marijuana can provide in their quest to legalize them because you can't just say, yeah, it's got some downsides, but you know, it's a naturally occurring substance. It shouldn't be illegal, which would be an argument that a person can give that would at least have more of a Liberty argument to it. Like, Hey, this is literally just something you pick off the ground and you smoke, or you, I guess you pull it off bark and smoke. I don't know how eyeball games made anyways. Um, but you know, that would of course be an argument to say, look, this, this shouldn't be illegal. It's too much government regulation. What have you, you can make that argument that outlawing these naturally occurring substances, uh, is big government and is, uh, is, is encroaching on our Liberty. Okay. I can hear you there, but don't sit there and pretend like there's no negative side effects to these substances and they can't possibly be bad for you in any way. I'm not buying that. And in that same vein, if you want to say, well, let's just legalize these things, we can have that discussion, but that isn't what is going on here. It's not just pushing Cameron to legalize something. Um, it actually seems a little more sinister. So let's under let's lay out some of this knowledge. So Kentucky won $842 million in an opioid settlement, and the money was split half going to local governments and counties and everything else, and the other half going to the state. And the point of this money, and it came from, of course, the opioid manufacturers, and that was to deal with the opioid uh, epidemic, to deal with the fact that people are addicted to opioids, and it was these pharmaceutical companies that started this whole entire thing. 
Um, basically, they caused the problem. They caused the damages. They had to pay for it. And so the half that went to the state went to a group called the Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission which was created by our state legislature and is essentially controlled by the attorney general's office because Cameron appoints uh, the majority of the 11 sitting members. So of the sitting members, Cameron is appointing the majority of them um, by one or two, by a fair, fair amount for a commission. And then this commission, seemingly out of nowhere, as I covered in prior podcasts, started pushing for and wanting a public-private partnership with a uh, pharmaceutical company um, and they want to give $42 million out of this settlement to this private company uh, in order to partner together and do some research in the state on ibogaine in order to treat addiction. And let me let me explain what that would mean is for the, fir in the first time in the U.S. in all 50 states, uh, there would be a place where you can legally, because right now ibogaine is illegal in all 50 states. So it's really hard and difficult. You can't do trials with it. You can't do those types of things. So if you had a state that was partnering together in order to do trials on this, it would help you overcome a lot of hurdles and help you get to full approval, full FDA approval of ibogaine for usage in the U.S. It helped you get there, Right. Well, obviously, the company that would be involved in that would be um, would profit greatly. I mean, it, it would be like, you know, imagine uh, methadone when it first came out. One company offering methadone in the entire country, let's say. Uh, it'd be worth all kinds. I mean, this is literally a pharmaceutical move that could be worth millions, if not billions. Because you'd be the only company in the U.S. legally allowed to hand out and do these types of treatments to deal with opioid epidemic. I mean, it's, it would be a lot of money. Well, here's where the problem comes in. So it seems kind of odd. Well, there's a, a guy by the name of Jeff Yass. And Jeff Yass is a billionaire mega donor to various Republican candidates around the country. And he's been dumping millions of dollars through two of his PACs into the Cameron campaign. Well, as it turns out, Jeff Yass, who's an investor, he is an investor and he's got billions under management, has millions invested with Ibogaine companies. And one of those companies he has millions invested with is a company called Atia Life Sciences. And Atia Life Sciences also owns, according to SEC, DimRx. And DimRx's CEO actually testified before the uh, Kentucky Abatement Advisory Commission on why they should be legalizing Ibogaine, clearly signaling that this person would be the person they give the contract to. Um, and so you have a company that this group is signaling that we're going to give $42 million to, they have to match it, but also we're going to create a pathway that they can now have legal trials in the U.S. so they can be the first ones to prove a drug that promises to be a wonder drug for treating opioid addiction when the biggest problems in the country, something that if somebody could cure with a drug would be worth billions. And we're going to offer that to this company. And that partnership, that person talks in front of it. Well, another person that talked to the commission was a guy by the name of Rex 
Elsass. And Rex Elsass is a uh, big known um, political consultant for Republicans. Most notably, in this case, one of the things he does is he does millions upon millions upon millions of dollars uh, in business with these PACs that are currently running Cameron ads. As in, he's the one running the ads, it would appear. He's the one making them, paying for them, pushing them out there, choosing placements for the pack that Yass dumps all the money into. And Rex Elsass is also the founder of the Reed Foundation. His son Reed apparently died from an overdose. And the Reed Foundation pushes Ibogaine research. Rex Elsass testified in front of this Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission, as did several other well-known Republicans, but Rex Elsass did. Rex Elsass also and his uh, executive assistant, priorly executive assistant, are involved with a nonprofit or a company or something called the Kentucky Ibogaine Initiative, which just fired up this year. So that's kind of the, I guess, the basics of what uh, is going on with this. And so to put it to you in a few different ways, and, and this is what I think is alarming, is that the commission, according to uh, reports from the commission, everybody who testified in front of the commission has been invited to testify in front of the commission. So you have a commission that's handing out hundreds of millions of dollars. They're saying, we want to give $42 million to a private company in order to work together to create the only place in the entire country where Ibogaine can be legally studied. And this will be the only company in the entire country able to legally study Ibogaine. And what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to have one, the CEO from a company that the guy dumping millions into Cameron's campaign has ownership in. And we're also going to have the guy who is literally running the company, owns the company that is running the ads for that pack come testify in front of the commission. I mean, at, at baseline, baseline, what it looks like is, is a Daniel Cameron controlled commission because it's controlled by the attorney general's office. Had the guy that is signing off on the attack ads against Bashir in to testify that they should give this $42 million to a private company and that a private company that they appear to be looking at based upon the fact that DemRx is the only CEO who's testified in front of them. But it doesn't matter who it is, because apparently Yass has ownership in several of these Ibogaine companies, like Mind Medicine and others. But then they have in a CEO who the guy dumbing the millions has millions of holdings in. And then, and then has both of them testify in front of the commission. It looks bad. It just looks bad. I mean, even that little bit right there. Guy, uh, uh, the guy running all the uh, pro-Cameron, anti-Bashir ads for a pro-Cameron pack is testifying in front of a Cameron commission. And by the way, this Rex Elsass guy, he lives in Ohio. He lives in Ohio. He doesn't live in Kentucky. So guy that doesn't live in Kentucky is being invited by a commission that's run by the AG's office the attorney general's office, Daniel Cameron's office. And that guy is in charge of running ads for Cameron. Well, not for Cameron, but for PACs that are for Cameron. 
And those packs are funded by a guy that stands, it appears, to make millions, if not billions, off of these companies that are now also testifying in front of the commission. That looks bad. And I get it, you know, and, and here's the here's the unfortunate thing, right? This could be absolutely happenstance. It could have literally nothing to do with any kind of corruption at all. It could be literally just a whole bunch of people feel very strongly about using ibogaine to treat opioid addiction. And they're advocating for it. And these are people that lobby the government all the time. They're involved in politics all the time. And so they look at a problem. Ibogaine's illegal. The, and the, instead of saying, look, we just regulate things too much. Hey, we're going to go in here. We're going to lobby. We're going to donate. We're going to get our way and get this ibogaine to be allowed because the government's regulating it. And, and this is just the way these people think. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's our fault for allowing our government to regulate so much because when government regulates so many things, that means there's now a profit in it. If you can be the company to control the regulations. And so these people spend millions of dollars lobbying the government to get control of the regulations, because if they don't, their opponents will, they're, they're the people trying to grab market share from them in the industry will, and they'll be put out of business. So it's either fight or die, fight to control the regulations or die by the regulations. Because we've allowed our government to get too big. That is just the way these people operate. There's no fault in that. It is our system that has created that because we have grown our government to a point where we want to control everything. And what's funny is, as you look at this and you would hope that the Democrat response to this would be to realize maybe our government shouldn't just control so many things. And then we wouldn't have so many of these issues with people having to dump in millions of dollars and being able to profit billions by doing so because they're able to use government regulations to lock down monopoly on a product that then they can be the only ones to profit off of. Maybe they would look at it that way, but of course they won't. Unfortunately, they'll just look at it in another way. I mean, you know, when the story dropped, I saw it on Twitter and I saw somebody's comment on it, some lefties comment on it, being like, see, this is why... Uh, um, you know, uh, we need to grab control of big pharma and blah, blah. It's like government regulation created this problem in the first place. It created it. And yet we won't look at this and say, hey, less government's the answer. We'll say we need more government. If we just had the right people in control. So as I said, it could be simply that all these people just believe Ibogaine is this wonder drug. And if you're a billionaire or a millionaire and you believe something uh, will change the world, you invest your money into it. So maybe they put money into Ibogaine because they believe it can change the world and they want to make money from it. And then in turn, they turn to, you know, their politicians and politics and everything else and say, hey, this is a wonder drug. You should support this. Get behind it. Maybe that's all that's going on. And maybe it's not monetarily driven at all. It is odd to see Yas get involved in a Kentucky governor's election. That is weird. It is weird to see, you know, Rex Elsass taking so much interest in Kentucky elections, running uh, uh, packs and stuff. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It is weird for 
Cameron to be at all interested in this. I've never heard him talk about Ibogaine before. You've never heard him talk about Ibogaine before this. He's never talked about Ibogaine before this. I don't know where the idea originated from and who came up with it. That's what I'd be interested to see. Who came up with where this came from and was it really being pushed by a desire to make a profit or is it just so happens there's a lot of people passionate about this that have the ear of Cameron and brought it up to him. I don't know. And as I said, I'm not going to pretend here does the same exact thing. I mean, you want to start getting interesting and maybe I'll do this in an episode and go through it. Look at who holds big money contracts for our state government and then look at who's donating to Bashir. I mean, if ever there was pay to play going on, that would be a quite clear thing. So it's not like, uh, uh, you know, Bashir's clean is driven snow on these things and Cameron just is awful or, I, you know, who knows? What I do know is this, once again, it looks bad. Because think about what this money's for. We were given this money, $842 million, this $42 million that he wants to spend on this, in order to deal with the greatest issue of our time. In order to deal with the fact that these big pharma companies made billions of dollars by over-prescribing and encouraging over-prescribing of opioids, which destroyed communities and lied about how addictive they were. And now what? We're going to turn to big pharma to solve the problem they created and allowing another company to make billions, peddling some drug that they promise is super, super safe, but may not be. We've heard that before. Oh, I promise this drug is super, super safe. I don't know. Like I said, it looks bad. Well, that's all we have time for, for you who are watching on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. But for those of you listening to the podcast only format, please stay with me because after this break, we'll be going over crypto mining in Kentucky. They're popping up all over Eastern Kentucky. We'll go over what's causing this, the issues and some of the concerns that these communities are having right after this short break. All right, crypto mining has been popping up all over eastern Kentucky in large part due to some regulations that the state legislature has passed giving tax incentives in order to draw these types of businesses to eastern Kentucky um, to kind of go over what crypto mining is for those of you who have no idea. Basically, the way the blockchain works is it uses complex mathematical problems um, in order to create a ledger and you have to solve these problems or the ledger in order to, uh, uh, quote unquote, verify transactions. And so the way it works is that Bitcoin has this, and, and I'm probably, and for those of you who are super big into cryptocurrency, don't, I don't need your emails being like, well, you kind of got it right, but you kind of got it wrong. I don't, I don't need it. I'm just explaining the basics. So you're trying to solve these mathematical equations in order to verify the ledger of transactions. So it's like, who does that Bitcoin belong to? Do they trade them back and forth? And uh, Bitcoin, in order to reward people for solving those mathematical equations, basically verifying the transactions, they then have Bitcoin miners who, what they do is they have uh, these really super powered computers that solve these mathematical equations. And then, then in return, they get rewarded with Bitcoins. Okay. So you quote unquote are mining for Bitcoins by you solve these mathematical equations on the blockchain. Then it rewards you with a coin for solving 
said equation, but it takes a whole lot of computing power. And so these crypto mines are basically normally a whole bunch of uh, shipping containers just full of computers and data servers uh, constantly operating and constantly burning through. And they use a lot of electricity. How much electricity? I'll go into that here in a second. Well, recently, for some unknown reason, the legislature uh, passed a bill to uh, create some tax breaks and, and some other local governments are creating tax breaks for these companies. Now, a part of the reason why they could pass this bill um, is because Kentucky, uh, you know, uh, okay, so looking at taxation, right? So they're trying to do economic development, trying to bring in uh, more taxes. And Kentucky has something called a corporate tax or uh, uh, an LLET tax. Okay, so that's of course, um, what you get taxed on your profits, and it's uh, a 5%. All right, so right now your corporate income tax in Kentucky uh, is 5%. And so basically they're saying, hey, come here, come drop your containers here, uh, especially in eastern Kentucky where we don't have a lot going on, and go ahead and generate your revenues. We'll take 5% of that, of your profits, um, and we'll make money off of it. And the stated help to the community is that somehow by them being there, they offset the cost of power. I don't quite understand because one, so there's this, uh, for example, in Wolf County, uh, right next to the electrical substation there, there is a crypto mine or a suspected crypto mine. And apparently, according to the power provider there, it uses the same amount of power as 5,000 households. Uh, they say it's their single largest customer. It uses five times more power. This little square of, of containers, it's probably like 10 containers at the most. Um, it uses more power uh, than 5,000 houses or five times more power than their next largest customer in that area, which is the jail. And so somehow the, the belief to the local community is that by these people drawing in this power, it helps keep their energy costs low, though I don't quite understand how that keeps it low. Because if suddenly you have 5,000 new houses in an area basically pulling power, well, they're going to have to make investments. They're going to have to upgrade things like the substation. They're going to have to do those things. And unless that cryptocurrency group in and of itself is paying for it, well, then the price is going to have to go up for everybody. But so th that's maybe why the state wants it is because, hey, look, you can build these little plots in all kinds of remote areas. They don't need a whole lot of, of uh, logistics shipping in and out. Really, they need to be shipped in these containers one time and then power. And that's it. That's all we need. Do they create jobs? No, they really don't create jobs. Uh, I think it creates like maybe two or three or four jobs. Uh, it, it depends. I guess there has to be a person watching it at all times. So maybe it creates some jobs there, maybe some security guards or something like that. Um, but it really doesn't create a whole lot of jobs. But it does create is revenues for the state to pull that 5% off of. And it gives them a place to put things where, well, they don't have to worry about they don't have to worry about because there's no other economic development that will ever go in in that area. This is a great choice. Well, ho, ho, ho. The people in that community, though, they're having some issues. And one of which being um, that apparently, like in this uh, crypto mine in Wolf County, um, they, they are having a noise issue. 
Okay. And basically they're saying that it, it, through the woods, as you get out to the houses nearest to this crypto mine, they have a constant uh, whine that is about 60 decibels, which is about the, the, the amount of like, that's like a normal conversation. So like a normal speaking voice is 60 decibels. And they're claiming that they have the sounds of the fans whirring to keep the crypto mining things cool is, is as loud as 60 decibels when they're at their homes um, in the area. And obviously, if you had a person or a noise, it's the same volume as I'm speaking to you right now, if you're listening at 60 decibels, that is just a kind of constant you would be highly annoyed and upset that that exists. And you might even feel like you're going crazy, which reportedly some of these people do feel that way. And so they're bringing up this issue, trying to pass noise ordinances and everything else. And of course, uh, you know, the, the, the people, the crypto people are like, well, we may leave, you know, we may just leave if it's too difficult, which is once again, the, the fear of these crypto mines is that they can just pick up and leave. You literally just ship the container somewhere else. You're done for, you're not building like a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of investment in the area outside the land, of course, that they bought. But outside of that, there's not really a whole lot of investment in the area. They can just ship it up and leave. Now, an easy come to. So, so you've got a mix of things. So you got property rights, which says, hey, it's my property. Let me do what I want. To agree, you're right. But you also shouldn't be causing damages to other people. And a 60 decibel whir to your neighbors, constant 24-7 whir is going to cause damages to your neighbor, at least discomfort, if not damages. And so I do think a, a simple thing would be to say, look, you need to throw up some sound barriers. You need to throw up uh, uh, some walls, some trees, some things like that to really help quiet down that noise of the crypto mines um, if you're going to continue to have them in place. Now, like I said, it's interesting that Kentucky would be offering such I guess, uh, tax breaks in order to attract these crypto mines in. Um, you know, like I said, it, it generates that 5%. It doesn't create a lot of jobs, though. The local county communities, I don't see how they'd be that much into it. And, and it just seems like an odd thing to really push for instead of pushing for actual jobs in the area to benefit the county, too, as well. Because remember, while the state makes money off revenues... The counties make money off something called occupational tax, which is the amount of people employed. So jobs, so companies that generate a lot of revenues but don't have a lot of employees don't really benefit the counties too much, but they do benefit the state more. So I definitely think moving forward, uh, the counties and, and, and states, they're going to have to come together here and, and be able to come to an agreement on these types of things like these crypto mines. How much are we going to push for it? Um, you know, I think I think there definitely needs to be some coming together there. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so so much for joining me. See you back here tomorrow at one o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.